listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome, it's Affect Autism this week with a return guest, Dr. Joshua Fader, who is a child and family psychiatrist in Solana Beach, California, seeing infants through adults and their families to address neuropsychiatric challenges. He's also an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, and an adjunct professor at the School of Leadership Studies at Field and Graduate University, and he heads up the Infant and Early Childhood Development Research Incubator, which is what we're going to talk about today. But before I introduce that, welcome, Dr. Fader. Thanks so much, Daria. It's great to have you back. We're going to be talking about a new app that is a connection coder. It's up on the iTunes store. It helps you look at, track, and think about how to improve connection and engagement and tracking along the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship Model or the DIR, floor time, uh, functional emotional developmental capacities from the first through the fourth levels. And this app trains you in just a few hours, which is incredibly simpler than um, and more efficient than other coding approaches on video. So we are super excited to hear about this because um, there's such a great use for this kind of app. But I did wanna mention before we get into the talk about this app, you have a brand new book that we won't be talking about today, but I wanna refer listeners to a podcast we did before, which was on medication and autism. And this is a new book that Dr. Fader has come out with called The Child Medication Factbook for Psychiatric Practice. And here is the Amazon page. If you wanted to say one or two quick things about that, Dr. Fader, and then we'll get into this, which is the preview on the uh, iTunes store of the new coding app. So take it away, Dr. Fader. Welcome. Thanks, Daria. I'm going to put up my, my own uh, PowerPoint. I've included the book in my disclosures. Doctors are, should, when they talk with you, disclose what they're doing and, and who they're doing it with. Um, but the book, the uh, Medication Factbook for uh, Child Psychiatric Practice, is a, uh, a book that was written for psychiatrists, but I'm getting a lot of parents who are buying it and other clinicians. So while you're pulling it up, uh, listeners, you will be able to see a blog post about everything we're talking about today at affectautism.com if you will search Dr. Joshua Fader, F-E-D-E-R. Um, so the talk is, are we connected? How you use everyday video to track developmental progress and social communication. So while we talk about the DIR model and functional, emotional um, you know, levels and things like that, um, you don't have to know about DIR and you don't have to know about those levels necessarily to figure out are you better connected with somebody and to use video to track that and to measure that. And that's why we developed this um, uh, program. But the, my disclosures are that I am the author of the new Child Medication Factbook for Psychiatric Practice through Carlat Publishing. I'm editor-in-chief at the Carlat Child Psychiatry Report, which is a continuing education arm for um, uh, doctors, for child psychiatrists in particular but a lot of other people look at it. We uh, set ourselves aside from the pharmaceutical industry. We don't take their funds or money, and when we give out information, um, we vet it 
to try to be sure that it's um, not uh, uh, unduly influenced. And so we came out with our own medication factbook, and it's actually been quite popular uh, so far. It was endorsed by uh, uh, you know, people like uh, Fred Volkmar, who's an icon in the autism field, actually, but also by the incoming president of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, um, Gay Carlson, and, and people seem to like it. It's really easy to flip right through, um, and um, it's faster than the internet, actually, to look things up. It's tabbed nicely. So parents are, have been buying it, actually, even though child psychiatrists like it a lot, and other clinicians. It's a wonderful resource, and we'll put a link to that book at Affect Autism. Thank you. Well, and it's a disclosure because I'm probably going to get, you know, this much income from it. I make my money, uh, my a living from seeing patients, actually. But I also work for Fielding Graduate University, um, a little bit for UCSD in terms of income. And then Connection Coder, well, we paid for it. We don't think it's ever going to make any money. We're mostly putting it out there to, to do good uh, than to do well. Um, but it's a disclosure. Um, I'm very, very grateful to the graduate students at Fielding, um, Professor Devin Kassenheiser, who helped me out while I was on sabbatical doing overseas work with conflict uh, work, which I still do, but I wasn't at Fielding for a while. And Devin was continuing the work on this connection coder um, paradigm. But also the clinicians, the video coders, the people at Simplay, which is my tech company, um, and uh, UCI Human Computer Interface Program, and of course the families who've kindly participated in this work. And when I show the app, the app in a little bit, you'll see uh, you know, at least one of the families who, who I've worked with. Um, and, and I hope that people will appreciate the importance of regulation, connection, and flow of interaction in our efforts to help people with developmental challenges, and then learn how this simple video coding paradigm can give helpful feedback to parents and teachers and clinicians and researchers to guide intervention. Video coding's been around for a long time. This is a very abridged history, but if you knew T. Barry Brazelton, the pediatrician, he was looking at moment-to-moment -moment interactions. Ed Tronic, whose work permeates some of this uh, work that I do as well, uh, talked about um, moms who might hold their face very still and their infants kind of freaking out after a while and how messy our interactions are. And I, like I said, I'm gonna um, you know, talk more about that. Daniel Stern, who's actually a child psychiatrist who passed away a number of years ago, talked about the vitality affects, the musicality of interactions and looked at that on video. And many, many other people, including Ruth Feldman, who um, also has a concept of connection and connectedness, something you know it when you see it, right? Um, as well as um, Lord, who um, came up with another uh, coding paradigm uh, specifically for autism. Now, our uh, uh, coding paradigm is more general, and let me explain that. We know that in any of our interactions, in any of our efforts to help kids on the spectrum or, or anyone at all, you really can't get anywhere if you're not regulated. And there are a number of researchers who've talked about what that means. So uh, Bruce Perry talks about elevated arousal and uh, when you're too um, spun up, you can't really connect with people. Kind of like if you're on the freeway in California, somebody cuts you off. Usually you're not saying, oh, they're in a hurry, go ahead, let me help you. Usually you're a little bit more um, rigid in your thinking, right? Um, and I say beware compliance on the slide because lots of times if you are in a partnership with somebody and you say you want to do this and they say okay, well then it's, a, you know, it's collaborative, right? But if you just want somebody to comply, and a lot of our 
school plans, for instance, are heavily uh, weighted towards compliance. If, it's, if you're only complying because you're overwhelmed, you're not really very well regulated. You're not likely to learn much from the interaction. So this idea of elevated arousal teaches us about the importance of regulation, but also sometimes when people are kind of cowed into doing things, they're not necessarily learning. And part of our goal here in our coding paradigm is to understand, is it a real um, back and forth? Is it a real mutually uh, collaborative kind of interaction? Porges talks about neuroception, the need to feel safe, uh, to be able to take in uh, useful experiences, to be able to take in the idea of your parents, for instance, that they care about you so that when you're not with them, you can still think of them and feel okay and regulated things like that. And then Grossberg talks about, um, some, somewhat similar to Perry, increased internal vigilance. And I have you know, one of those, the little math diagrams that I used to work on when I did brain theory back at Boston University a while ago, um, where uh, the idea there is to be able to have abstract thinking. You can see two levels, a sort of one frame of what mountains might look like and then what's a mountain generally look like. To be able to learn abstract thinking, you actually have to be fairly regulated. If you um, have too much vigilance or arousal, you uh, end up having a tantrum or withdrawing instead of being able to have that more abstract kind of thinking. But in everyday life, you look at the kids at the bottom here, you know, what are the situations where people aren't very regulated, when they're hungry or have some sort of internal pain, when they're angry about something, frustrated they didn't get what they want, whatever, when they're lonely or anxious about something, or when they're just too tired or maybe overwhelmed and withdrawing. So hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or uh, halt is a mnemonic that I always encourage people to remember when somebody's not doing very well, one of the ways to think about why they might not be doing well and how you could maybe change that. I like that HALT, H-A-L-T, and, and just to add one more, um, we did a podcast with Dr. Stuart Shanker a little while ago, and he has a book called Self-Reg that discusses a lot about this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Stuart and I were on the phone just the other day. I'm going to do a Carlat issue about trauma, and Bruce Perry yesterday, so if you're a Carlat fan, that issue might be very interested if you're interested in the impact of trauma and what we do about it. Um, I mentioned Ed Tronic earlier, um, who talks about how connection and interaction are both messy and necessary, right? Um, when we have this beautiful, you know, when it's going well, interactions between like a parent and a baby, you can see I've got a baby in my arms here, um, and there's this cooing back and forth, and it's all very beautiful. Um, those are the same kinds of back and forth. That's the beginning of what we hope happens throughout, you know, your lifetime. But these things are always interrupted, whether the phone rings and, you know, we have to answer the phone and then the baby's like, ah, you know, kind of brings you back. Okay, baby, I'm here. Or the baby might have some sort of internal gas bubble or whatever. And you're like, baby, baby, where'd you go? Boop, 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 burp, you know, whatever, baby's back. And then you're reconnected. It's a really, really important uh, interaction because what you learn as a parent, for instance, is that you can have a break in this beautiful connection with your baby, and the baby learns the same thing. Ah, 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 I can bring my parent back. You both learn that you're separate people, but that you can reconnect. And for the baby, it's the first experience of self and of fixing a problem, the beginning of resilience, really, right? Um, confidence in your own competence, if you will, to be able to bring somebody back. And of course, they're not thinking that verbally so much as babies, but it is the kind of thing that's happening in all our interactions. So. Taking from that, we thought at Fielding that we needed to look at 
the length of connections, those flowing interactions, which implied that people would be regulated because you can't do that if you're not regulated. Also, a longer connection implies that it's meaningful because if it's not, then you can sort of see that it's you know, robotic. And we also look at how much work people are doing in those interactions. And then we also look at the balance of effort. Who's doing the work of connecting? And both people need to be doing some of the work. Not too much, not too little. Because if one person's doing all the work, well, then it's more like putting people through drills, but they're not necessarily, you don't know that they're learning. You don't know that it's meaningful. So we talk about degrees of connection. For instance, the very best ones are well-timed, uh, a flow of back and forth interaction with shared emotion. Usually you have mutual gaze, but not always. There's a good balance of effort and the interactions have an easy, natural quality that doesn't feel stilted. At the very bottom, there's no interaction. The participant that you're interested in is withdrawn and responsive to the social approaches from their partner. And then you've got all the in-between. And you could probably have, we used to have three levels <laughs> um, where it was sort of barely interacting. We didn't worry about not interacting or going pretty well or something that's sort of in between. We split it out to five. You could probably split it out to 15. But in the middle, we have fleeting moments of social gaze with shared emotion or some responses timed in a way that indicates that the participants are responding to one another in kind, but not really a clear intent to check in and occasional orienting towards somebody else, but a, not really much of a flow. Uh, more than a few, in DR, we call them circles of interaction, a few exchanges. And it's kind of dominated by one participant usually. Below that, just the very fleeting kinds of interactions that you can barely connect with somebody. And just above that, between something that's going really well and something that isn't, you know, it's sort of just a couple circles of interaction. Sometimes, and a lot of us have this experience, we've got an interaction going with somebody, but it's, the timing's just a little bit off. You have to wait longer to make sure the person's processing. Um, there may be some balance, but it's not, not quite uh, what we're um, hoping for, and so we're you know, continuing to work on it. Now, the challenges in video coding, as Daria you know, kind of alluded to earlier, um, with most of the research, it looks a little bit like this, where you've got a child, maybe a parent kind of in front of that child, and then uh, maybe a coach behind the child, um, somebody taking data, somebody on the camera, somebody in the sound booth. It's a lot of people, a lot of expense. And then you have the people coding it. And those are three undergrad students paid minimum wage to look at the same video and code it to try to make sure that it's, um, there's reliability in the coding. And, you know, they're angry, they're falling asleep, they're frustrated. Not easy. Very expensive, very time-consuming enterprise. Well, we've simplified it down to basically a smartphone on a chair, or really, yeah, it's a smartphone, an iOS-type uh, device or an iPad, and you just kind of prop it up. I use uh, like a little pillow or something, and you take the video of the whoever it is with the child, and we piloted this uh, since 2012, where coders blinded to the timing of a DIR intervention found an association between the intervention and increasing time of connection and better balance of repair in children with social uh, communication disorders. In 2013, we did another feasibility study where we had a bunch of different raters looking at five-minute clips and found that there's really high inter-rater reliability when we trained them up to look at these clips and they looked at it the same way, which is really important when you're devising something like this. And since then, there's a bit of that interlude I mentioned when Dr. Kassenheiser was helping out and I was 
out using DIR concepts to help kids growing up in conflict zones. Um, but right around that time, um, there was another reliability study uh, that compared uh, the cars um, with the video scoring and found a really nice correlation between the two of them and mostly another high inter-rated reliability as well. So that was great. And so in the past couple of years, we've been creating an iOS app so that instead of pencil and paper coding, um, you could do it on the app. Um, and there's multiple dissertations going on and fielding right now using cars with different age groups and whether kids are on the spectrum or not, things like that. And we're looking at also using this for supporting our work in um, resilience programs and peace building. And the overall feedback is that coding is pretty easy. People learn a lot from doing it. The information is useful for improving intervention, for self-regulation, resilience, social communication, empathy and tolerance, just, just great. So here's a, a, a screenshot and I'll actually show you this video in just a moment uh, and show you how the app works. But it's really easy to use in home, school or clinic. Um, you can take video and code it on the smartphone screen, and the uh, it rates. Uh, the, as you code the video, it gives you a rating feedback about the degree of connection and the balance of repair and initiation so that you can kind of see, okay, how am I doing? And if things are uh, not going well, it can get you to sort of think about what can you do to improve how the interactions are going. You can go over it with maybe a clinician or somebody else. We also have secure uh, data file uploading for sharing um, and for research purposes. And probably one of the best features of this, um, this uh, app has training for coding reliability. It makes you, and this is one of the training videos you're seeing right here, and I'll show it to you in a moment. It trains you to look for these things so that you can look at them in all your interactions. And it trains you to good reliability because you don't you don't pass unless you do it well enough um, and uh, you can go over you can see the notes and then you can try again and there's eight different training videos that you can uh, download to use and um, and train on um, so just amazing so I'm gonna stop sharing and then show you what this looks like so a little simplay logo there yeah um, and uh, this is what the home screen looks like can you see it pretty well Yes. Okay, great. So um, you see a bunch of different buttons here. There's a user's guide that sort of goes through in 99 pages currently what it's all about, the theory behind it, some of what we all talked about, um, all the definitions and all the buttons and yada, yada, yada. There's also a, um, a, a quick guide so you can kind of look through and see, you know, what the different buttons do and how you're supposed to use it. So that's to refresh your memory and then you can sort of just get out of that when you want to. When you um, have a uh, data that you want to upload, you press the upload button. When you have a new video, um, you can add it. And when you want to do the training videos, uh, which I'm going to show you one, you, you look at them here. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode. I, I, I think I skipped that little screen, but it comes out automatically. Um, but you're better off on airplane mode when you're using this because particularly if you're downloading, a, um, uh, downloading uh, a video, if you get interrupted by a phone call or something, it'll interrupt the download, which comes from a secure server, <clears throat> and then you'll have to do it again. It takes a few minutes to download and process a video. What we do is we take 10-minute videos, and we cut off the first uh, five minutes. We figure that's just everybody settling in, and once I see it said put 
the device into airplane mode. Um, and um, uh, here, I'll go back so you can see that. Oops. Please put the device into airplane mode. Um, but uh, we look at the second five minutes of a video. So if you take a video like for an hour of a session and you upload it as a new video, it'll just take the second five minutes for you to code. So you're not spending all day coding an hour video, but it's a small sample. Um, and one hopes that over time, uh, these samples shift and change. And they actually do. We, I, we did a, a talk with Beth Austin at the Perfectum Conference a, um, uh, a week ago. And uh, she showed in one session different clips of a child uh, functioning in one fashion with a parent, and then some of her coaching, and then the child functioning in another fashion. And when we coded the different segments, you could see improvement in that. And again, I, I want to show you what that coding looks like. When you first start looking at a video, it reminds you to add who the participants are. And the first person you add is the primary participant. Now, here's a video that's already loaded into the app, so we don't have to wait to download it. And you can kind of see it's really me and this child. There is a mom talking in the background a little bit. Um, and um, uh, so, and, and there's a dad there as well who's, uh, who's there just for, for part of the time. We're not going to go through all the coding of the video today, but I just want to show you an example. But for instance, for the participant <coughs> menu, when we want to add somebody, we press the plus sign, and there's a boy. Yeah, the boy. And then we want to add uh, you know, me, so I'm the doctor in this case. But it could be a parent. And in some of the trading videos, it's really more the parent who's involved. I might be talking in the background or something like that. So I'm just going to put those two in. I'm not going to put the mom or the dad in right now because I want to really show you what this looks like. If I play the video for a little bit, and I think you'll be able to hear. I'm just going to turn the volume up. Just take a look at this for a few seconds. Okay, so just looking at that sequence, <clears throat> probably similar to what a lot of people uh, see, <clears throat> right? Somebody who there's kind of a, you know, a brief interaction and then the child kind of moves away. Something I think a lot of us have experienced. So when we start this interaction, where does it really start? So he's kind of coming toward me. There's a ball. There's actually a thing you can sort of look um, in much smaller increments, um, second by second. So it really starts, he's just sort of wandering. I pick up the ball, it really starts about then, right? When I'm uh, reaching out and, and starting this. So um, you can choose who started it. And here I'm choosing me, it's lit, lit, lit up a little bit. I'll say things start there. And how long does it go? I put that in the back of his sweatshirt. He has trouble getting it out. I get it out for him, I give him the ball. And he's gone. So at about that, and maybe even a second or two before, he's really kind of out of there. So we could stop it there, but as most of us know, you really need to wait in case people are processing to um, you know, see if they aren't going to come back or respond to you. In this case, and, and by convention, we give it 10 seconds before we give up, a full 10 seconds. But you'll see, well, we'll go to 23 seconds from the 13. You see siblings around there. He, he, he's not back there. So, um, so at that point, you know, we just call it an end. 
And then you can delete it if you, you know, want to go back later and change it. But then we want to look at the degree. You see this question mark here. So we're looking at the degree of uh, interaction. And remember that scale we talked about, one, two, three, four, five. Well, on a scale to one to five, um, it's not nothing, but it's not much better than nothing. It's certainly not a very good flow. I'm going to call it a two out of five. And you can see now the two shows up here. And then you can go on to ensuing segments. So you can sort of see here that I'm sort of following him around here. I'll, you'll see I'll go after him again. So maybe we started again there. And how long does it go? Well, he's already gone. So let's see. He went away. Probably been about 10 seconds there. I'm, not, I'm, I'm being a little bit um, quick about it because we don't have a ton of time here. But it, it wasn't much better. We had another brief interaction. What I want to show you is later in the video, there's a time when he goes away. Just watch this. So I kick the ball over to him. He goes away. And, you know, one of the reasons we have a 10-second delay here is when we counted this one out, he turns around and expects me, just as I was talking to mom about it. And it actually happened um, where he ended up initiating there. So it's very, very interesting. When you go through the whole thing and score it <clears throat> on these training videos, well, then you can score and see how you did compared to um, the uh, standard that we had in place. We had a whole team of people developing the standards. Now, I scored them. Uh, I didn't do a very good job here. I got a 16. <laughs> You're going for an 80%. It's because I didn't go through the whole video. And I called the total time connected, you know, about 50 seconds of five minutes, which isn't very much. Actually, when you score the whole thing, you'll see the notes on the video. It's much longer than that. The average degree of connection is two. Uh, the balance is unknown because you need at least three um, breaks and repairs to even think about what the balance is like. But you could see I was doing most of the work. Um, I had just those two segments where zero of them the boy initiated, two of them I initiated. But later on, um, he's uh, initiating a little bit there. Um, and uh, we have, um, you know, like uh, the note where you can go to the website to learn more about DIR from Perfectum or ICDL and, and other places. And then there's notes on the video on all the different segments uh, that we coded. And here's one where the boy started it, right? Uh, as I was saying at the end. Um, and the people who are participants um, are me and uh, the boy. Um, mom and dad and other children are listed as uh, participants, or none of them are listed as participants right now because none of them really interact with him, even though they are present in the video. But let me show you. So this is what the actual uh, standard coding looked like, where there were you know, six different um, moments, and one of them, the boy started. You can see it's in green instead. These colors are a little bit random. They won't always look the same. But when you go through this, you learn so much about who's doing what. It's amazing how helpful it can be. So, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope people find it useful. So far, the feedback has been really very, very good. So you code it yourself, whoever's using this, on those test videos to sort of learn how to do it. And then when you get your own videos, 
you're doing it yourself and hoping that you have now learned how to do it. Well, you will because there's, there's, you know, like I said, eight training videos. The okay. first one's the, the one that comes with the app and it's actually the hardest. <clears throat> the other ones are a little bit more straightforward, but you know, there's even like an adult and you know, there's mom and a kid and there's, you know, I was know, just going to say kids. there's enough variety of to know how to code different well, Right. What, one of them's a, a teenager. I don't know if you can see this, a teenager using an AAC type device <clears throat> or an iPad to type. And so that's a really interesting interaction. So we've got a, a great variety of the kinds of videos. And if you can get 80% on these, you know, uh, in total, um, you're, you kind of know what you're doing at that point. We've, we've been able to demonstrate it with a lot of people now. Um, yeah, so works, works pretty well. <laughs> so who do you see as the primary user of this app? Uh, parents, teachers, and clinicians. <laughs> who are also, like I say, doing research on it and, um, and trying to um, compare it with standard autism tests so that you can say, well, you know, when you're doing pretty well on this, it fits with, in terms of autism symptoms, like on a car is uh, doing pretty well. But, um, but yeah, it's meant for the masses. And, you know, 10 bucks, right? It's once a one-time thing. And uh, it's not like you have to sign up for a subscription. It's not like you have, and, and the other thing is for video coding, if anybody's ever studied that, um, it takes a long time to learn. This is a couple hours to learn it. It's a simplified model. And it's not, it's not perfect. We know it's not perfect. But it, it, the, the idea is to get you on the road to paying attention to whether people are regulated and whether they're connecting and whether you're able to stretch that out and how do you do it better so that it forms the foundation for all the other learning and symbolic play and everything else. We are actually looking uh, with other people at whether we can be coding measures that would reflect symbolic play. That's for later. But, um, but for now, and I see this as, you know, I see connection is really the fulcrum on which everything else kind of um, rides. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to work with somebody and it's not working out, well, usually it's because you're not really connected. So that's why we developed connection coding. And so um, this is sort of a tool to develop your self-reflection that uh, Dr. Andrea Davis has spoken with me about on the podcast where yeah. you're looking at videos and, and trying to reflect on what you could have done or see what your child's doing that you might have missed in the moment. So mm -hmm. that develop that ability to sort of have that camera on in your head during the interaction to be reflecting. And this is practice for that and a tool. Exactly, exactly. And will there be updates on the app going forward and possibly even new training videos in the future, especially if you do develop symbolic play? Yeah, if we develop symbolic play, we're going to have new training videos. Um, there are always updates on every app. There's always things that we find, things we want to change. When I was presenting it last week, I was like, oh, let's change this, this, and this. And I have a meeting in just a couple minutes. That's why I've got to get off the phone in a minute with uh, um, my uh, team uh, to talk about yeah, and so what are our next updates? But it's like any app, you know, it updates or updates automatically. And so, you know, you just get the updates and it's, it's fine. It's not like updating your whole uh, iOS, which is like you turn right. the phone off and everything. It's like an app update, which yep. just kind of comes in. 
So yes, there are updates. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for showing this to us and listeners at affectautism.com. I will have the blog post related to this with all of the links to everything we discussed. And if you're listening to this on an audio podcast, you'll be able to go in and see the video segments um, that he's talking about and a link to where to find the app and a link to that book that we talked about in the introduction. So thanks so much for coming back and sharing that with us. It's great to get the word out there about this new app. And we'll be eager to do a follow-up in a few months to see what you've learned from the users, if you get got some feedback from um, using it. And I would definitely like to use it myself and give you some feedback. <laughs> I'd be delighted. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Dr. Fader. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.